1: minor league baseball season is in full swing and we welcome you into the latest episode of the show before the show podcast, uh, virtually alongside Benjamin Hill and Sam Dykstra. My name is Tyler Mon. dudes. How are you? You're in a much more nondescript room today. There's just like a yeah, gray windowless. wall. This is like yeah.
2: the old days in the Chelsea market. Um, yeah.
1: ordinarily there's like a, a, like a cool frosted glass behind you with like a ball player on it today. It looks like you're being held in a conference room. Like for questioning by the CIA, so you're the CIA
0: in this because you're questioning us. I feel like. maybe
1: this has been the Where long. Where have you game. put us, Tyler? This has been the long game all along, Sam. <laughs> maybe you just haven't you just haven't known until now. Well, um, how are you, you dude? Like the
0: door locks in. <laughs> <laughs> you just Virtually.
1: hear bolts uh,
0: entering the uh, the door jam. How are you guys? What's going on uh, out at MLB HQ? Yeah, things are good. Things are good. It's it's been fun to you know dive into the the season and get. You know, I always say this when a new season starts. is like, after we really spend months and months of diving into, like, what happened, now all of a sudden we're getting fresh stuff every day. Like, yeah. You're looking across the minor league landscape and being like, who's hot? Who's not? Who who has stuff to work on? Who's getting shelled early? Who's actually coming out of the gate firing? Um, what crazy things are happening across the league? And we'll get into some of those that happened in the first weekend of the minor league season a little bit, a little bit later. But, like, I, I put up this stat the other day. That um, like the Midwest League as a league is hitting like 180 because it has been cold in the Midwest League. And then Jesse Goldberg Strassler, friend of the show, uh, reached out and said it's going to be 80 degrees across the Midwest. Oh, this that's week. fantastic. So things could turn around real quick. And, and we're in that territory now with small sample stuff. Like if you're worried about somebody getting off to a slow start, it can turn around in one game.
1: Yeah, that is definitely true. Um,
0: Well, one thing
1: that we know never gets off to a slow start is the show before the show podcast. You can get in touch with this podcast at MILB.com. You can tweet at us at Sam Dykstra, MILB, and at Ben's Biz, uh, as well as at Tyler Mond. And Ben, um, we've got so much stuff already. I mean, we're only one week into the season, but already we've got new alternate identities. We've got alternate identities that have been rolled out for the first time. Uh, One thing that we talked about a lot, over the last few years as teams leaning into alternate food identities. And I feel like we may have a new leader in the clubhouse for a team that leans hardest into that. And that is the Portland sea dogs who came out with their fourth different food identity. Is that right now? Number four.
2: Yeah, this morning we're talking here on Thursday, uh, April 13th and uh, the Portland sea dogs, that's Portland, Maine, of course, double a affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. They already have, the whoopee pies the red snappers which is a hot dog based identity they had the bean suppas s u p p a h s to yeah, not to be
1: confused with bean suppers suppas. right
2: got to approximate that main accent so they've already had three alternate identities today they announced the new one and it's funny cuz you know i maintain my you know season long uh, promo spreadsheet and uh when i when the portland sea dogs Release their promo schedule. This August twenty fifth was just listed as, you know, can you dig it, and uh, you know more to come. And I was like, so I wrote that down in the spreadsheet. Something's happening here. Can you dig it? Today they announced that that date, August twenty fifth, they will be the clam bakes. So, you know, you dig for those. Can you dig it? You dig for those clams and um, they're going to be the clam bakes, their fourth food related alternate identity, all, you know, main specialties. The clam bake, of course, is, you know, steamed clams, you know, piled in a pot with uh, like corn and potatoes and maybe little bits of sausage. I don't know exactly how they do it in Maine, but uh, it's a clam bake. So I'm sure they'll have a a huge clam bake at the ballpark that day. That would be such a cool concession item on a regular basis, but probably not too feasible on a day in day out basis. But they are the clam bakes uh, August 25th. So that's that's a new one. So even though we go through the offseason, talk about all these new things, the season starts and uh, here we are with something new.
1: We are almost certainly going to end up doing an episode in which we rank uh, the food items across minor league baseball in terms of identities that we want to try the most. I think this would be up there for me because in the Sea Dogs release, they say that, uh, quote, clam bakes are an old fashioned New England tradition inherited from the Native Americans. The traditional main clam bake includes lobster, clams, corn on the cob, potatoes and blueberry cake. Which, like, I was already pretty well in, but then you throw in blueberry cake at the end. I very much want to take part in this. Make Josh Jackson throw us a
2: clam bake. Yeah, that blueberry cake I do not think is steamed along with all the other things they mentioned. (laughs) The way they wrote that out. Yeah, the way they Thrown in with the clams. Threw it out. Like, all right, here's some potatoes. Here's some corn. And lastly, we'll just chuck some uh, blueberry cake. We're dumping this blueberry cake in here, too. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think it's like that, but, you know. The Mainers are strange people, as we know from our friend Josh Jackson. We We don't don't ever really quite know what they're up to. It's (laughs) almost like a foreign country, and just uh, their ways and customs are quite alien to us. But I don't think they throw the blueberry cake into the actual boil. Now, we have not
1: confirmed that yet. Maybe they do. We'll text Josh and see. Yeah, Um, (laughs) <laughs> there was also uh, another identity that was rolled out very recently uh, here in the first week, week plus of the minor league season at the A level. Uh, The Norfolk Tides, the AAA affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles uh, did their very own food identity and went to a much different corner of the globe uh than a lot of the food identities that we have seen throughout the minor leagues over the last few years as this trend has taken hold.
2: Yeah, this was, um, I think just, uh, you know, April 4th or 5th, the Norfolk Tides, um, that's Norfolk, Virginia. They announced that on Saturday, April 8th, you know, so not much notice between the the debut of this identity and the game itself. Uh, they would celebrate their region's, uh, you know, Filipino-American population, uh, very large Filipino-American population in the Norfolk, Virginia area by playing as the Lumpia. And I hope I'm saying that right. L-U-M-P-I-A. I've had it before, but I'm I'm probably saying it wrong. Lumpia, lumpia. L U M P I A. Uh which I've had before, it is you know, best described as a, you know, most most simply described as a, a spring roll type item. Um, you know, the fried wrapper uh with meat and or vegetables within its crispy shell. Uh really good. I actually had that for the first time when I'd never heard of it before. In 2013, at a Stockton Ports game, they had an outside vendor uh, selling lumpia, lumpia, lumpia. I had meant to, before we started this episode, to, to look up, look this up. To Google and, the accurate uh, pronunciation. I feel like you're right. And this like is a topic I, I want to return to. Um, but they they did that. And uh, so really cool, too, just to uh, have a food identity that's hitting a new a whole new demographic a whole new population similar to you know how Montgomery Biscuits did kimchi um as an homage or you know connecting with the region's uh, korean american population you know this is one uh hitting the filipino culture and Sam and I were talking about it you know before earlier today and talking about how you know the response to that was national because there's obviously filipino people all over the country who you know, never seen that sort of thing before. That kind of representation of like, all oh, right, Filipino Heritage Night, and they're they're they've got the food theme, alternate identity, and everything. That's really cool. Uh, you know, the bad news for the Tides is that Saturday's game was uh, the weather was not great, so I'm sure they didn't quite get the crowd they might have gotten otherwise with uh, really rainy weather. But the good news is playing as the lumpia, lumpia. <laughs> My goodness, I cannot believe I did not look that up. I feel like you got to ride right with lumpia. That seems. Lumpia. Yeah, that seems most uh, most likely to me. Yeah, um, poor, poor preparation on my part, but they won with that identity, twenty-one to two. As Sam pointed out when we were talking earlier, no home runs in that game. They scored twenty-one runs with this Filipino American Filipino heritage identity and uh, scored eleven runs in one inning, a franchise record. So they got to keep playing. They got to keep doing this, and I hope it comes back not just next year, but later this season.
1: I uh want to point out a couple of things about this. Uh the tides came out with a very very unique looking logo um which is uh or not a not a logo. I mean the logo itself is unique, but the hat uh for this alternate identity is really unique. It's got the lumpia across the front, but the bill I have not really seen this before. The bill is a tri-colored bill that's based on the Filipino flag, which is really, really cool. Um, if you look up the Filipino flag and then you go onto the site, and you'll kind of see uh, how exactly it's incorporated into the bill. Um, but if you think it has been successful, uh, we can tell you that it certainly has given the fact that five of the six uh, lumpia merchandise items on the Tides store online are sold out only the Filipino American heritage night ladies t-shirt remains in stock in some capacity for the tides. Uh, So that's super cool. And the other thing, If you think like, well, baseball, what's the connection to the Philippines there? Uh, That is the number 42 ranked national team program in the world, according to uh, the WBSC rankings. The Philippines, of course, has played uh, in the world baseball classic qualifiers in years past. So there is some baseball connection there, which is pretty cool. Um, So we're talking about some of these baseball food alternate identities. And that transitions us well to talk about some of the new food itself at minor league ballparks uh, across the country, which Ben, I know you're working on a piece diving into some of that.
2: Yeah, you know, um, just throughout the offseason, I kept making notes, would lose my notes, have to start my notes again, uh, but trying to keep track of, uh, uh, you know, new concession items. It's just one of the many things I do every year in preparation for the season and decided to compile some of those into a story. Um, So that'll be up on uh, the Internet very soon mlb.com possibly mlb.com you know we jump back and forth these days with the minor league coverage um you know one that has really jumped out to me i mean it is uh gargantuan Brobdingnagian. <laughs> i messed it up brobdingnagian that's that's a word i like to use when something is huge that is uh that comes from uh, jonathan swifts uh gulliver's travels there's little to mean small yeah, there's the one. race of giants the brobdingnags that are huge. So something large is Brobdingnagian. Ah, yeah. I don't think so, I ever knew that. Yeah. So this Brobdingnagian thing I'm talking about is uh, the Lake County captains. They brought back the Moby Dick sandwich, which they debuted in 2012. I remember covering it on good old Ben's Biz blog. Uh, and they've reimagined it. It is, of course, a gigantic seafood sandwich. Um, so the reimagined version has 16 fish patties. Uh, 24 sardines laid atop it, Uh, you know, all sorts of uh cheese, cheese whiz, um, a dash of oyster sauce, 37. Yeah, just a, a dash. dash. That's what it says. A you don't want to upset before, the balance. Yeah, yeah. If you've yeah. got
1: 16 patties and 20 sardines, you can't upset the, the balance of taste. Yeah.
2: And 37 pickles. They're like very specific with that. But also, you know, um, and we talked to uh, Alan Miller, the new owner of the Lake County Captains. He owns the Portland Pickles a summer collegiate team in Portland, Oregon, not to be confused with Portland, Maine or playing as the clam bakes. Um, So I think putting so many pickles on a sandwich is a kind of nod to the other team and their ownership group. Why 37 specifically? I'm not exactly sure, but you know, this is 2012. They introduced this, this sandwich. Uh, It stuck around for a few years. It disappeared. But to me, it's uh, you know, Lake County captains under new ownership, uh, bringing things back, doing things in new ways, So, this sandwich is ridiculous. Um, I don't like food waste. So, I hope people who order it, uh, you know, share it, get a fork and knife and cut it down, feed the whole family. But I do love the creativity, bringing it back. And uh, even uh, Andrew Grover, who, you know, for years was the captain's on field MC, you know, I met him the first time I visited Lake County in like 2013. Uh, You know, he left the team for a while and now he's come back in a full time role. So, the team has now released images of Grover. Andrew Grover in 2012 with the Moby Dick and now in 2023 with the Moby Dick. So the more things change, the more they stay the same to have this same guy sitting in what looks to be the same seat of the ballpark, holding the Moby Dick like, OK, whoa, <laughs> here we go. And, uh, you know, Lake County captains, uh, they've been an interesting team in, in the early going uh, with with all the sort of stuff they have going on Um one thing that did not go as viral as some of the other things that we'll talk about shortly, you know, in minor league baseball's first week, but just the kind of spirit I want to see more of. Again, apropos of nothing, I don't know what created this, but they had a giraffe who seemed visibly drunk with a cigarette dangling from his mouth and wearing only whitey tighties. Singing his own version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game with altered lyrics, some of them trashing the other mascots, including one of the new mascots, Horatio, who grew in an egg on the concourse all, se- all season long and finally hatched. But they've got this drunk giraffe just singing on the concourse. And, you know, I've never seen a drunk giraffe in person or anywhere else before this happened. But to me, that's like quintessential what I'm looking for all the time. um You know, the drunk giraffes of the world. And I've said this before. I, I think my you know, lost a little Your way they do things sometime in recent years and all the transition. And I'm always going to be a celebrant of uh, that kind of thing where you're like, what are they doing? Why? This is a little weird. This is a little off. But just those kind of things that say, you know, we're trying and we're just going to be ridiculous and we're going to grab your attention one way or the other. And we are going to be Defiantly minor league, and uh, I love that.
0: And when I watched the clip through you, because I I didn't see it either until you posted
2: it, yeah, I've been a widespread (laughs) disseminator
0: trying to spread it as (laughs) wide as you can. Uh, it looked like a Jeffrey mascot, like the Toys R Us,
2: yes, it did. There was a lot of Jeffrey mentions and on the on the tweet, a bunch of jokes about Jeffrey, yeah, and you know, how he's you know, fallen on hard times since Toys R Us went out when went bankrupt and you know that was a shame because he really stuck his neck out for that company
1: (sighs)
0: actually i'm kind of surprised you didn't go with that one sam i know (laughs) i should have been i'm I'm (laughs) off my game i'm still in spring training (laughs) It's taken me a few reps to get into the season, but I'll get there. There were definitely, like, there was a lot of just fun, like, what is this? Minor League Baseball so wacky,
1: reactions to that tweet in that video. And then I saw one guy that said, cancel my season tickets.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. You're paying a lot of money, and, you know, you you might draw the line at a drunk giraffe. Um, (laughs) Fair enough. I just
1: like the quote. I've never seen a drunk giraffe in real life.
2: I think we should just that should be the title
1: of this episode of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, Completely we out of context just Ben <laughs> saying I've never seen a drunk giraffe in real life. Um well that is some of the stuff off the field that we have seen. Uh on the field guys we saw a weird baseball game for the ages. Uh in the other days <laughs> Rocket City Trash Pandas no hitter that they lost 7-5. Uh the Rocket City Trash Pandas Carried a no-hitter, throwing a shutout, uh, looking great, going into the top of the ninth inning against the visiting Chattanooga Lookouts. And uh, somehow, uh, actually, it was a seven-inning game. Uh, I want to make sure that I clarify that. Somehow gave up seven runs in the top of the seventh To lose that game, six walks, three batters hit by pitches, uh, a bases-clearing error, one of the weirdest games in baseball history. I remember one time when I was a kid, looking through a magazine story about uh, no hitters in the history of the New York Yankees, and I remember seeing some in like the you know the twenties and thirties and forties and fifties that they had lost, and I was thinking like, man, how annoying and frustrating must that be to lose a no hitter? One thing to lose a no hitter like two to one, seven five. Uh yeah this is uh this is a quintessential minor league baseball moment.
2: Yeah you know, and all seven that. runs in the ninth inning or in the seventh inning yeah. uh, it was just insane. You mentioned the Yankees in no hitters losing efforts and no hitters. Andy Hawkins is part of that list. I remember being a kid and that was kind of a big story. And then it didn't really technically count as a no-hitter because he only pitched eight innings because it was on the road and then to forget who he was pitching against. Didn't need the last at bat, but I believe he allowed four runs or four unearned runs over eight um, no hit innings. So there's all sorts of quirks throughout baseball history. It's, you know, certainly happened in the minor leagues, but like this, Sam, has it really happened like this? this? this I can't remember this. Like, this is, this was something else. Yeah. Tyler, you went through exactly,
0: you know, like the, what happened, but let me just read it off like beat by beat. Right. And the not start, pitch by pitch, but yeah, like,
1: this is, this uh, is like the play-by-play recap of it.
0: Yeah. And the guy who came in to close out the no hitter was Ben Joyce many might remember he was thrown 103 at Tennessee reached a Rocket City last year as an Angels draft pick pretty quickly one of the most acclaimed and exciting relief prospects we have in minor league baseball so you thought okay he's coming in to close the door uh they have a five no, they have a 3-0 lead going into the 7th inning playing at home top of the 7
2: yeah and this was a relief of a guy it was a crow um i wanted to say cameron crow um but the starting pitcher for Rocket City wins six innings and pitched six no-hit innings. Yeah, and allowed two walks, six strikeouts. Crow. So it in comes is, uh,
0: Coleman Crow, by the
1: way.
2: There man. we go. Coleman that's that's why I wanted to say Cameron. Yeah. If only it would have been Cam really Crow.
1: interesting yeah. if it was Cameron Crow. That, that would be a very, very different a, story. A much more dynamic story.
0: Yeah. Um. So Ben Joyce replaces Coleman Crow. Goes walk, walk, pop out to second. So we have an out. Walk. Strikeout swinging. We have two outs. Two outs?! We Nothing across. Yes, yeah. bases are loaded, obviously. That makes it a little bit more dramatic.
1: But two, you are one out away from a shutout, no-hit win in game one of a doubleheader.
0: Yep. Walk on four pitches. Fielding error by center fielder Jeremiah Jackson. And this I want was the killer. Out. This was the killer because I want to point out, Jeremiah Jackson, normally a shortstop, some third base. He is a legit Angels prospect. Right. Was playing center field for the first time in his career in a regular season game. It was something they wanted to try. He's Oof. going back. He's going back. Ball hits him in the glove and drops out.
2: And that would have ended the game. Then it that would have ended. Yeah. The... That would have been it. With yeah, it one run across, so. a win,
0: yeah. and a no hitter.
2: Slightly weird. Oh, we allowed a run in a no hitter, but no big deal. Yeah.
0: yeah. Three runs score on the error. Again, should have been. So now five. it's
2: five four.
0: Now it's four to three. Oh, now it's four to three.
1: Okay. So Chattanooga has taken the lead. Right. 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 It was a three nothing lead going at Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So now they have a 4-3 lead. Eric Torres replaces Ben Joyce, hits a batter, hits another batter, walks Alan Serda, hits another batter. <laughs> and they I don't mean to the laugh because it's out. such
1: a bummer for Rocket City, but holy cow, it's just like.
0: There was also a wild pitch that allowed a runner to score to make it 7-3. Then Rocket City scored two more runs in the bottom of the frame. Jeremiah Jackson strikes out. Tucker Flint strikes out. Both of those guys were coming up uh with two runners on base. So if they had homered, we would have had a walk-off, no hit win. That would have been would have, awesome. I man. would have just been that would have been crazy nuts. I was on the way back uh with my parents after having a nice like pre-Easter lunch with my aunt. It's called Priester. Priester. Oh, no, that's Quinn Priester. He's a pitcher <laughs> for the Indianapolis Indians. There we go. Now I'm back. <laughs> um But yeah, And I was just following this game, just being like, how weirder is this going to get? And watching the feed come in, it's like, oh, it's getting weirder and weirder and weirder. And it was so fun to see everybody realize what had happened. Yeah. Across baseball and like beyond baseball. Yeah. A real moment where it's just like, you know, we play a lot of games in the minor leagues. On many days, we play 60 games in the minor leagues. Sometimes more than that. When you have double headers like this one, weirdness is going to happen. Yep. But the fact that this happened on Saturday which was two days after Double A, High A, and Single A. Most teams had their opening day, and we—that was the first no hitter of the minor league season. Technically, there was also was- another no hitter that same day. Clearwater threw one. that was a nine inning. It was legit. Uh, legit. I mean, they're both legit in their own way. But um, so it's just that was so crazy that that happened. And as Ben mentioned, it was the first game of a doubleheader. Those two teams play each other again. Rocket City one hits Chattanooga. <laughs> And they win that game, so they went in the weirdest on doubleheader split of all time. Yeah, the pitching staff allowed one hit all day over 14
1: innings and only got one win. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. our thoughts with uh Andy Shatsley and Michael Wirtz, the manager and pitching coach for the Rocket City trash Band, is because I cannot imagine the level of ripping your hair out in the dugout uh, at Rocket City for that one. What a weird. A weird game. It is really fun when a minor league baseball game like invades the popular sports zeitgeist, um, just for something wacky that happened during a game. And that was certainly the case, uh, with this one. I will say, I, uh, I'm no longer doing the, the writing stuff on a day to day basis with, uh, with Pipeline or with MIOB.com. And I really wish that I could have been on that story because that would have been a lot of fun to tackle. Although I don't really know how you tackle it from the standpoint of like, I want to talk to somebody from Rocket City about, man. That was a weird one to blow, huh?
0: <laughs> I don't think Ben Joyce was going to answer the phone. Yeah, I don't but you're think you're right. Joyce was going to answer the phone. I think uh, you are right. It would be a little weird to handle from that one. Maybe Coleman Crow would have been happy to tie. Like, I did great. Yeah, you
3: had a great. Everything day. went w-
0: well for me. Great day. Uh, ben and I were talking about this too. That's one thing to consider, and it's something we're going to be following throughout the first half. The Southern League is playing with a a different ball. Um, that's part of one of the new rules coming into the year. They're playing with a pre tacked ball. Uh, Through the first half, they're going to switch back to the mudded ball that everybody else uses. Um, But it's part of, you know, uh, the A-B testing that we've been doing throughout the minor leagues for years of you talk to people who play in foreign leagues. They have a pre-tack ball and pitchers like throwing it because they know where it's going. Yeah. Yeah, Now, the walk rate is up a little bit in the Southern League, but it's kind of up everywhere.
1: And what that means, for for anybody who's not familiar, uh, the standard Major League, Minor League baseballs, they come as, you know, the pearls that you'd see out of the package, just glossy and white and perfect. And they all get rubbed down with this specific mud from one specific riverbed in Mississippi, which is as wild of a baseball story as anything. But yeah, the pre-tacked baseballs, which they use overseas come and they're already a little bit more grippable and a little bit easier to to throw and command. Uh, and that has driven rave reviews from I remember in the Olympics last year, uh people loved it. Uh the players who went through from the US uh, loved the the pre-tacked balls. So yeah, it's one of those one of those new things. And obviously with the issues with uh what pitchers have been doing to get grip in recent years and all that, it's been a, a thing that baseball's wanted to tackle for a while.
0: Yeah, and I, and I saw some people talking about that. Like, is, could that be ex- explain this? But also, it was one crazy inning, right? Like everybody was using, using that ball. In, yeah, for that. The, again, the walk rate been keeping track of the data a little bit. Coleman
1: Crow but, was using it for the
0: first six innings when he threw no hit ball. Yeah, right. and and allowed two walks. Like, right. he wasn't hitting everybody. Right, um, but at the same time, like walk rates up a little bit in the Southern League. But it, again, it's early. Like pitchers are trying to find. Their way to command the ball. Guys aren't going very deep in outings yet. Uh, it, there's all sorts of ways of explaining that early, but we'll we'll keep an eye on it as things go along. I mean, they've tried this before in the Southern League, and they scrapped it because the ball they had been using nobody liked at that time. Um, is that going to happen again? We'll we'll see. Uh, but this was just such a crazy moment. You're going to have crazy moments, like I said, when you when you're playing sixty games a day uh, between 120 teams. Every day from late March all the way through to September, even a little bit in October now. Crazy stuff is going to happen, and I'm so glad we got one, one of the craziest stories we're going to hear in all of 2023. And if something beats this, then I can't wait to find out what that is.
2: Something might. There's a lot yeah, of like, yeah. baseball. And minor league baseball, as we all know, gets uh, gets weirder than most. The 8-5 yeah. to five no-hitter is still out there. I'm just saying. That's true. Yeah. yeah or that walk-off no-hitter after allowing 7 runs. Yes. Yeah, now that would be pretty fun we had too. Yeah, that's a
1: possibility. Right. That would be pretty great. Um, all right, you guys, that was one thing that went viral this week. Uh we've got another thing that went viral from the weekend as well, that is uh the subject of our interview on this week's episode of the show before the show.
2: Yeah, that's right. And you know, Tyler, unfortunately, you're going to be unable to join us on this interview which we will Sam and I will be conducting shortly. And I meant to ask you before we started taping you know, I was disappointed you wouldn't make it because you're a broadcaster. Um, and so, therefore, you know, you've got versatility. And I was thinking, oh, maybe we could have Tyler set up the interview based on the moment that is uh, precipitated why we're doing the interview. Dan Hasty, the broadcaster for the West Michigan Whitecaps, went viral uh, last week. Uh, it was on Saturday. The team posted this video on Sunday in which he called an entire at bat in a game against the Lugnuts uh, in the style of a master's golf broadcast, you know, the piano music underneath and the whisper and adjectives like exquisite and, um, you know, a sense of self-importance permeating it just like the masters themselves. And I was thinking, I wonder, Tyler, can you do a master's type broadcast or have you just not moved into the golf realm?
1: You know, I feel like I could. Um, I certainly don't have the energy to be a golf broadcaster, as you guys would imagine. I'm I'm way too hyped up to be a golf
0: broadcaster. Yeah, the way you say that is I don't have the energy. You yeah. have the energy. I have, have I have the...
1: too much energy. Yeah. I right. I have uh I'm not lacking enough uh to do golf. And I don't mean that in a like a you know, a way where I'm talking down about golf broadcasters. I mean I'm continuously way too wired. Uh but I feel like I could like for a moment.
2: I think so. I've heard you do some ASMR style uh vocal bits and it's kind of yeah. like that, very soothing.
1: Yeah, very soothing. Um the only thing that I can uh approximate um from my broadcasting career as something similar is uh the day of the royal wedding uh the first one which was uh William and Kate wedding day. Let's see what what it was. April 29th, 2011, um, my broadcast assistant and I, uh, James Smythe, who if you are a New York Yankees fan, uh, you probably hear Michael Kay and Paul O'Neill and all the guys on Yes Broadcast drop the name James. Uh, James, my former assistant, is now a researcher for the Yes Network. He's the stats guy in the booth. He's awesome. James and I did an inning in a British accent um, to, <laughs> to honor William and Kate think that's the only thing
0: honor left, uh, is that the whatever. verb you want to use for that is that
1: it's honor in a very minor league baseball way we'll put it that way um yeah i you know i i guess i could get my voice down a little two one pitch missing in the dirt and that'll leave the count at two and two i don't think i could keep that up though i
0: think i could that do it even, for like you know you were at like a three yeah about, oh, at like a four and a half <laughs> I was, that, that was even a little low. See, I
1: can't even wind it down enough.
0: Yeah. Or correctly, I should say.
1: Um, but this is a very entertaining video that, uh, yeah, went, it rocketed around
2: uh, the uh, the Internet. It was, and we're psyched to talk to Dan Hasty of the West Michigan Whitecaps. Talk about his viral moment uh, where he went uh, full-on golf broadcaster and, you know, just talk about West Michigan in general. We love West Michigan. It's the best quadrant of Michigan.
0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
4: A fine hit, deep to left center. Off the wall. Lucas Dunn into second base. Exquisite. A one-out double here in the seventh. An excellent approach to that hit.
2: Patient, able to line it up, deposited into left center field.
4: Got it into the short grass out there.
2: Well, that man you just heard doing that Masters-style baseball call was Dan Hasty, the broadcaster for the West Michigan Whitecaps, the high A affiliate of the Detroit Tigers in the Midwest League. He has been dealing with his uh, brush with viral fame uh, after making this call. It has lit up the internet and uh, gotten a lot of people talking, shared all over the place, and uh, we want to know the story behind it. So, Dan, thanks so much for joining us on the show before the show podcast. Gentlemen, appreciate you guys having
4: me on and it's always exciting when you get to go on a show that you are actively subscribed to. So this is kind of like worlds coming together. Hearing you guys for for months on end and now bringing it here today. It's uh it's a really cool moment. So I appreciate you having me on.
2: Yeah, feelings mutual and um you know, your your call has reached a, a wider audience than than I think this podcast has yet. Yeah, we can yeah. only hope to have the uh, number of eyeballs and uh, I was going to say earballs, earholes. <laughs> ear holes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, tuned into us as the people who watched you um, do in a bat, just one at bat in a, in a game against the lug nuts. This was last Saturday. Um, how did this come about this decision to say like, we're going to do this. Obviously the masters are going on. It's something in the sports landscape, but for you to say, all right, let's do it. Let's call this a bat uh, in a golf style. So I think it really kind of became an idea
4: more philosophically before the season began. Um, You know, talking to Nate Wangler, who's my broadcast partner on, on Whitecaps TV, as we call it, because we sort of split our schedule in two segments. We do a television style broadcast for our home games and for our road games, we do a radio style call on our team's website. So because we know that we lean into the television broadcast. We have the benefit of pictures and the lessons need to describe. And because, especially with things like the pitch clock, we know that the game moves faster. So when we're at home, that gives us just a little bit more flexibility. And before the season, we said, you know, let's try some things. Let's try to do some different things this year. Let's try to lean into the fact that we love what we're doing and we love being there. So how can we best maximize that? Now, I can promise you this. This was not premeditated weeks before, months before anything. The night before, though, we were finishing up a ball game and we were talking about the Masters. And I think it was the night before that the tree had gone down during the the round of play. So we were talking about it. And then naturally, broadcasters, when they start talking, usually the conversation flows over to the broadcaster on that call. So we started talking about Jim Nance. And for me, I mean, he's the greatest living broadcaster on this planet and this his body of work obviously speaks for itself and nobody does the masters like Jim Nance so to be able to have this circulate all the way back to him that's a whole other thing We can get to that in a minute but we said you know what if we called a moment in our game like Jim Nance calls in his game and his in his match if you will so it was a joke at first. We didn't take it seriously, but then it just kind of lingered. And I think things got quiet in the press box for a little while. And then all of a sudden, I think I, think I said, what if we actually did that? And <laughs> so the idea originally, my idea was to go for a full half inning. I got talked out of that, and I'm glad I did. So the the rebuttal to the half inning was, well, if our pitcher starts walking the ballpark, are you going to stick in that voice for a half hour for 45 minutes? <laughs> the answer, No. So we said, okay, one at-bat will be more than enough. And just the way that everything timed out, I'm really glad we did it that way.
2: Yeah, and did you have kind of, you obviously can't follow a script when you're calling a live event and don't know what's going to happen, but did you have sort of notes for lines you might want to use, uh, adjectives to drop, uh, little turns of phrase, you know, throughout, you know, broadcasters are known for their preparation. Did you did you really uh, go all in and... and- exploring the wide range of possibilities of, of things you could say.
4: I wanted to make sure that we had done some preparation, that we did have ourselves ready for that moment whenever we decided to use it. And so what I did, and I, I, I watched golf, I was watching the Masters, I've watched it for many, many years. So I just basically jotted down, typed, I guess, in this case, in my phone, just a few lines that. I've had kicked around in my head over the course of the years that I had watched golf, the masters, what have you. So I basically said, okay, here's seven different lines. And like any other preparation, you know, you're not going to use all seven of those. You're probably lucky to use maybe one or two. So what happened was, was I basically just had it open, looked at it, let the game unfold. And then we just, we use whatever worked organically. And that's an earmark of our profession. We just try to make sure that we're doing things that don't sound premeditated, right? Because if you're doing your job right, it doesn't sound like you're you're, you're working all that hard. It just all kind of comes and flows by itself. So yes, I did have a few things written down. Um, I will give a tip of the cap to my partner, Nate. Uh, he had the line the night before, exquisite, and we both fell out laughing. So I said, if there's any way we can use that, I don't care if the other team who was at the plate, if they hit a 500-foot homer, we're using it. And need so, <laughs> some way, I need, to see, I need to see that one in there. So that was the only one I really, really wanted to make sure it was a part of it. But just the way it all played out, and I think, you know, I told, you know, to a few people, you know, we just felt like less was more. So just let it breathe, just like we do whenever we're watching the Masters or any other golf tournament for that matter. And I'm glad it worked out. And I'm glad that we didn't force it because sometimes those things can be forced and then they come off a little bit disingenuous. But we were genuinely trying our best not to fall out laughing while we were going through that. And that's why I actually had sunglasses on because I didn't want to look at my broadcast partner. I didn't want to see him in my peripheral vision. So that's why I'm wearing sunglasses in that clip.
0: Yeah. And I think my favorite uh, quote from that clip was probably one of the ones you guys wrote down. And if it's not, it's an incredible ad lib was right now. He's looking at a pitch from about 60 feet, six inches, which is like points to whenever I'm watching a golf broadcast and they're like, oh, yeah, that's five feet. I'm like, how do you know that's five feet? You have no idea. At least, you know, exactly the distance, but it was just so well delivered. So now I got to ask if you, if you guys only went to a few of the ones you wrote down, what was left on the cutting room floor?
3: Let's see. There's a couple
4: that I wanted to make sure that we got in. So 60 feet, six inches actually was not on my list. Wow. Um, Well, credit to you then. I had thought about it. I thought about it, but I didn't write it down. So I I thought in the back of my mind, I said, oh, yeah, that would be good. I just didn't get a chance to write it down. But um, we had one that was, uh, what a great baseball shot.
1: We had that one.
4: Um, we had, that's a good miss. Um, that was another one. Um, and then and then essentially like something like, nah, be right. Or something like that. If the ball was hit, you know, to the wrong direction, something along those lines. You know, we were ready for a little bit more. But again, it just boils down to this, short and sweet. And yeah. it, even within all that space, we were able to keep it short. I think the at-bat lasted all the three pitches.
0: Right. Right. And at what point did you realize like this was spreading? Cause it, you guys mentioned before, like posting it to social media is how this exploded and this getting the word out. And then all of a sudden it's getting picked up, not just by Meyer league folks, not just by baseball folks, by like golf folks. And it, it, it expanded beyond our little universe here. But at what point did you realize this, this is really caught on?
4: You know, you never think when you do something like that, that this will be the result ever. I think when you put something like this out, you just want people in your circle to enjoy it. I think that's your goal. I mean, in this case, we wanted our fan base, the Whitecaps fan base to enjoy it, to, to, to have something that they can laugh at and not and that be that. But I think when it started hitting me that this was going to be an unusual circumstance was when it was just an avalanche of comments. And it was happening so quickly. And it was from all the people in the West Michigan area. It came to Detroit pretty quickly. And that's really where, you know, it it kind of hit the detonator. And that's when it went and did what it did. So you know everybody having an opinion on it and in a lot of them we were very flattered because they were they were overwhelmingly positive which is something i mean if you're going to go famous for something there's a lot of ways you can become infamous so it's very grateful to have something that's not a bad way to become to be able to go viral so to speak but no we we just noticed that all of our our peers and you know the print industry for example they were all over it the content creators were all over it Um, for me, there was one specific moment. It was the following day when Rex Chapman, his Twitter account tweeted it out. And that's when, I mean, that's an account that I've been watching. And I know that all of us probably have seen at one point or another and have gotten some enjoyment out of, and I mean, to me, he was always the gatekeeper of twitter.com. So to see him actually engage with it and to do it to the level he did, that's when we realized that it was no longer an ordinary video.
0: Yeah, and how much does the minor League schedule, and we always talk about the minor League grind, right, especially nowadays where it's six-day games a week, and they're all in a row, and it's Tuesday through Sunday, you know you're going to be in the booth, and you're going to be there from the start of April through the end of September now. How much does that kind of force you to be creative in these ways and try to spice things up? I mean, the game in front of you is going to bring something exciting, but over, over the course of the season, you're going to see a lot, and you need to do something. How does that kind of affect your ability or desire
4: to latch on to something like this? Well, I think it's all about paying attention and keeping your ears open. And for the record, what I did was not complete novelty. I mean, other broadcasters in minor league baseball have great ideas and they've been doing fun bits for a long, long time. I think the only difference was, was we put ours on social media and we had timing on our side because the Masters, of course, was actively going on. But in terms of the priority of being creative, I think it just depends on your skill set. I, I think it depends on who you feel you are as a personality in a booth. I know that it comes naturally to some. I know that some others have different skills and different strengths. I, I would say this, you know, when I was younger, I remember talking to somebody who I respected, and one of the things that they said was that, uh, I, I needed a better game face. I needed to be more serious. And I, I made that change. Um, but I felt like overall it was to my detriment because I felt like I was getting away from finding the joy in the game. And so being able to say, you know what, I can still do that, but I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And that was where we started having more fun and it, it sort of started to percolate a little bit last year. We really didn't have the resources to see it through, but this year it literally took us all of three games to, to find an opportunity like this. So I, I think you just lean in to what you feel your flavor is. You know what I mean? What, what is the reason that somebody comes to your restaurant over somebody else's? So I think that's one of the things that I'm really, really grateful for and to have a support system with the West Michigan whitecaps, they're as good as it gets in minor league baseball. I'm not just saying that. I mean, they have taken exceptional care of our entire broadcast booth or the duration we've been there. I've been there since 2015. I am sincerely and internally indebted to Jim Jarecki, who's the general manager there, who hired me. And I just, it's, it's a moment that I'm just so happy that they are getting the benefits and the enjoyment from because everything we do is to make them proud so we felt like we accomplished that and I think that that's something that they feel as well
2: now to go back a little bit you had mentioned uh, earlier on that you know you're a huge fan of Jim Nance think he's just the absolute best of what he does and how your video made its way back to him so did you hear from Jim Nance or did he comment it, comment on it in any way or you know what, what was the story there
4: I heard him listen to it uh, on a show, and they got his live reaction. Um, he said he thought it was brilliant, and he he called us very clever. And I got, I actually heard him laugh as he was listening to it, and that was the moment. That was the moment where I thought, this is perfect. I can't believe... I'm making the like the one of the Mount Rushmore broadcasters of our generation laugh at an impersonation that is very much based on him. I mean, how many times do people hear imitations of themselves and they're like, "I don't sound like that. Don't don't do that." But he actually genuinely enjoyed it, and you know, we it was just a it was a special thing because, of course, everybody in my industry. Holds him in the highest regard, so to be able to affect him and to allow him to have a moment where we can connect in that way was pretty
2: special. And to pivot briefly uh, away from the Masters and your golf call, but just the West Michigan Whitecaps—you um, know—they play just outside of Grand Rapids. LMCU Ballpark is in the midst of a big uh, renovation phase or a multi-phase renovation. Um, you know, now that the season has started. You know, what are things like at the ballpark in terms of changes there or just, you know, the players that are most excited, uh, you know, exciting to watch so far? Um, You know, what are you enjoying on a day to day basis uh, during the 2023 season at home? I think one of the things
4: that we're having to learn how to navigate on the fly is this newfound 15 minutes of fame situation Uh, being around our coaches and our players is a very strange experience because Mm. these are all guys in, in the coaches cases and the players cases that, you know, I mean, they they have forgotten more than I'll ever know about playing the game of baseball. And I just, I, I can't tell you how much I respect all their talents and ability. And so to hear them having interacted and crossed with, what we were doing in the booth and to to try to navigate what that feels like. It's been something I've never been comfortable with, or at least been used to. So that's been different, but in terms of the team itself, I mean, they're an older group. They've got 24, 25 year old guys on this team. And it's so funny because, and you guys will understand this too. It's that when you have a team full of prospects. It's always exciting because of course you've got prospects, but they're usually what, 19, 20 years old. But those teams don't typically win as much. The teams that do win are usually, at least in our experience, are the teams of four-year college grinder types. That's the kind of team that West Michigan has by and large to begin this season. It's of course going to evolve as it goes on. But when we got our roster, we were looking at all these birth dates and Ninety seven and ninety eight. Now I feel old, but regardless, (laughs) I I, I remember thinking, I remember thinking, wow, this is an older group, and it's it's going to be important for these guys to get off to a good start. And they already have. They won four of their first five games. They are on the road at Lansing this week, and then they're home for six against Dayton. Of course, with the schedule that you talked about, they had a couple of days off last week. But this is an older group, and it's a lot of fun. I know the hitters are a little bit. I don't want to say disappointed, but they know because we've told them as part of the multi-phase renovation project that Ben mentioned that the fences are coming in. They need more room because they have to get the bullpens off the field. The bullpens are in foul territory down the first and third base lines. So they have to put those behind the wall in right center field. And thus, one of the deepest and hardest ballparks to hit a home run in, in all of minor league baseball, which is West Michigan, is now actually going to favor hitters, I would guess, significantly beginning Mm -hmm. with next year so all these guys are sitting here hitting 405 foot doubles off the wall (laughs) much like the ball that was hit as part of the master's clip those balls will get out just about anywhere else in minor league baseball but they don't get out at our place at least for now so they're now hearing about that they also know that the clubhouse is currently being constructed it's going to shift from the first base to the third base side and they've seen these renderings and they're all just blown away by how it's going to look and we're really excited about it. I mean, just the, the idea of what this ballpark's going to look like and going to be in the next one, two, three, five years it is something that it's it's going to really have a hard time reminding people in West Michigan of what that ballpark used to look like. It is a massive project.
3: Yeah, I
0: mean, I'm sure Jay Seong doesn't want to repeat a level or be sent down at any point, but I'm sure he wouldn't mind coming back and aiming for that bullpen.
2: That's what I was thinking. Just delay that double-A promotion. Guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Hit 220 this year, and then next year you'll hit 310.
2: I'm sure I could
4: pull that off. I don't know if I'd be able to get that high, but I'll do my best. (laughs) There are some good players on that squad. Jace Young, of course, he's the Tigers' number two prospect. He's there. They were likely to have Jackson Job, who's the number one Tigers prospect. I think that they're still hoping, holding out optimism that he rejoins them before the season's over. He had a back injury, and those things are no fun for anybody. But – Overall, they, they've got a handful of the prospects, I'd say, of the top 15. I think they've got three, maybe four, if you count Jackson Job. So they, they've got some interesting young players, but it's really heavily supplemented by a lot of experience. And so far, that has paid off exactly the way we expected with wins.
0: All right, Dan, we'll, we'll let you go on this one. Um, now that people might be tuning in to more West Michigan broadcasts, trying to see what's what's coming next, I mean – is there anything else left in the hopper? Is there anything you guys are planning for future homestands of like yeah.
4: little little breaks you could
2: make? Kentucky Derby, <laughs> WrestleMania. Yeah.
4: <laughs> you know, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what event is happening in the world when a particular week of home games occur for the West Michigan Whitecaps. I've already had people suggest that we should call a baseball game like the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Uh so we've we've had some some ideas along that way. What well, so- <laughs> <laughs> This is the fourth home run of the season for Jace Young. It's <laughs> not in his career. You know what I mean? So we've had a few suggestions for that. Um, of course, now the minor league baseball games are part of the MLB feed as well, the, the MLB app as well as Bally Live. And so uh, we've already been talking with Valley Live about some games that we can play throughout our broadcast so fans can interact with us there, whether it's giving us a word to work in or a phrase to work into the broadcast. Um, One of the things we did last year was we put out a promo video for the broadcast, the TV broadcast, and it was in the style of the old This Is Sports Center commercials. (laughs) So we did one of those. And the premise was basically that our manager, uh, Brian Pena, who played in the big leagues for 13 seasons including one with the tigers was that and this is true he loves the microphone he loves doing interviews like he is just he is that kind of guy he is wired that way and we love him for it he will literally stop whatever he's doing if we want to talk to him so much so and i don't even know if i should be telling this right now but there was a situation last year where he thought i was in the locker room trying to get him for a pregame interview and he was literally mid-shower, walking into the locker room, asking if he wanted us to talk to him. I remember saying, no, we definitely don't need to talk to you in that state. But regardless, we did a spoof on it. So we talked about how he's always willing to have you know, a conversation with us, talk to our broadcast. And it cut to us interviewing him in very unfavorable situations like he's trying to work out he's on the treadmill and we're sitting there with a microphone in his face and at the very end it cuts to us interviewing him in the shower so it's a tribute to that moment so we're gonna do something like that again this season we're still workshopping some ideas but I, I really think that it's one of those things that once something like this happens I think we have a little bit more cachet to lean into the fun aspect and that's what we want this to be.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're looking forward to seeing what comes next. And, uh, but for now, you're the master, the most uh, masterful broadcaster in minor league baseball. And uh, we appreciate you joining us uh, on the show before the show po- podcast. This is uh, Dan Hasty, the broadcaster for the West Michigan Whitecaps. Thanks for being here. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the time.
3: the power of their data wasabi another boston based championship team
1: we interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the miners now here's your correspondent and host joshua
0: jackson <laughs>
5: Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radioland must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One was once a real terror. The others are just a couple of boogeymen. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Idaho False Fiends. B. The Des Moines Demons. C, the Herkimer Tormentors. You don't need to be some kind of evil genius to pick B, the Des Moines Demon. This devilish club raised Cain in the Western League of the 1920s and 30s and the 3I League of the late 50s and early 60s, and is represented in the minors today through Los Demonios de Des Moines, the Copa de la Diversion identity of the Iowa Cup. Playing in the Iowa City with a name that translates to The Monks, the Demons were rarely up to any good during their 16 non-consecutive season Reign of Terror. However, those bad guys won it all in their first two years of existence. In 1925, the Demons were bestern of the Western League, with sinister pitching from Herm Holzhauser and with Elton Sam Langford proving a beast in the box and on the bases. Not even Oklahoma City pitcher Carl Hubbard, who threw like the devil himself, could quiet the unruly nine from Des Moines that year, as the Demons danced their way to a 98 and 70 record. With Miltonic rhythm, the Monks repeated the beat in 26, winning 99 games compared to Oklahoma City's 100, but losing two fewer games to steal the pennant. That might have been the greatest trick the Demons ever pulled were it not for the black magic of 1931. The Wichita Aviators were soaring over Des Moines through the first half of the season, but when they met in the championship, the Demons tormented Wichita, bringing the Aviators crashing down in the series four games to two. It was downhill for the Demons from there, and the Western League went under after the 37 season. But with a stench of sulfur, the Demons rose again. In 1959, Des Moines was granted a team in the Illinois, Indiana, Iowa League as an affiliate of the Philadelphia Phillies. As such, they never took a title, and in their third three-I League season, were so bad—37 and 93, 42 and a half games below the Topeka Reds—that it got the demons banished to the wretched black hole whence they came. And that's how the demons fell from grace. Now on to the question for next time. Which of these ball clubs compounded its glory in the miners of yesteryear? A. The Fort Collins Loveland Lovebirds. B. The Champagne Urbana Lincoln Lawyers. C. The Bisbee Douglas Copper Kings. Want to know the answer? Multiply. Or, tune into the next, Ghost of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is playing nine with Lauren Bacall, and he can't do better than bogey.
1: We're getting set to say goodbye on this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, but before we do... MILB.tv is your place to follow the best and brightest in minor league baseball. And of course, it is now included in your MLB TV subscription as well. And we're back to picking games, things that we're keeping an eye on uh coming up this weekend or on into next week
0: for minor leaguers. And Sam, what do you got? Yeah, so th- on Saturday, our free game of the day, which will be available on MLB.com and MLB Pipelines homepage. Um, you don't need an at bat subscription. You don't need an MILB TV sp- subscription, although we recommend you get both so you can watch all games all the time. Um, but this will be available streaming for free on those websites. So go check that out. We're doing one a game, one game every day that there are games. Saturday is Rancho Cucamonga versus Visalia. And I bring that up because Drew Jones is the top prospect playing in that game, last year's number two overall pick, the number 13 prospect in MLB Pipeline's top 100 uh, as of right now. Drew Jones making his pro debut last week because he had shoulder surgery last year. It was an open question of like whether he was going to begin the season with an affiliate or not, or they were going to continue his rehab. He opens the year in the California League, pulls off a play that looked exactly like his dad. It was a ball that was hit deep to center field. He was tracking back. His back was fully turned towards the field. He kind of just threw up an arm and caught the ball, Willie Mays style. It You know, we know Drew Jones is a really good, Uh, defensive center fielder was no surprise that he's making a highlight catch but like that might be the catch of the minor league season already and that happened in his pro debut so that was really special he's capable of doing that anytime he's playing center field should be doing that against saturday uh against rancho cucamonga which is full of dodgers affiliates so there should be something to watch for that and again you can watch for free on mlb.com and the mlb pipeline homepage. tyler what are you going to be watching
1: I am going to the highest-ranked prospect currently in action in the minor league. So, currently four of our top 5 prospects at uh MLB pipeline are in the big leagues. Francisco Alvarez with the Mets, Jordan Walker who is off to a historic hitting streak to kick off his career with the St. Louis Cardinals, he has yet to go hitless in a big league game. Uh Anthony Volpe with the New York Yankees and Grayson Rodriguez of course recently called up to the Baltimore Orioles. Uh the only prospect among the top 5 who is not in the big leagues, but is also not in action, is Andrew Painter, uh, the Phillies' right-handed prospect, who, of course, is hurt to start the season. Uh, So that sends it to... Jackson Churio, who I mentioned once in a World Baseball Classic broadcast, and somebody tweeted at me and said, I can see at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B is living rent free in your head. Uh, And uh, I like that
0: influence on you and just the public (laughs) and the
1: baseball world at large. Uh, Jackson Churio getting started uh, this year with double A Biloxi after his breakout season last year across. Three different levels, uh, of course, in the Milwaukee Brewers organization. He saw six games with double A Biloxi last year, there to start the season this year. Five for his first 18, two of those five hits are home runs. Uh, he's already driven in six, he hit a walk off the other day. Uh, Jackson Churio and the Biloxi Shuckers are home to take on the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, and that is coming up this weekend. You can catch that game at milb.tv. And, um, you got a whole wide slate, a wide swath of games from class A all the way through AAA. And uh, that's what's coming up over the weekend. All right, fellas. I guess that's it. I always get a little
0: melancholy when we wrap up for the week. I thought you were ending on your master's voice.
1: No, I can't do it. I can't, you know, we all heard Dan. He's so good. He's so good at it. I can't, I can't attempt that. Ben, can you do one? Can you toss us out of this episode with your own little master's call i can dun, 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 dun.
2: Uh, having never watched the masters
0: <laughs> so this is like an ai generator yeah. like what do you yeah do you think the master's sound <laughs> <Yeah>. gentlemen
3: <laughs> we laughed we loved we had another great
2: episode an exquisite episode of the show before the show the official podcast modern done, done.